Book Scavenger, Chapter Three. The U-Haul put it up a hill, leaving downtown San Francisco behind. The sidewalk sprouted trees. The bars and windows were replaced with flower boxes. The moving van slowed to a stop in front of a building Emily recognized from the rental website. The new house was taller than it was wide, as if it held its breath to squeeze between the neighboring homes. Emily glanced at the clock. One minute to go until Mr. Griswold's announcement. Her dad tapped his temple, his short hand for "I can, I can read your mind." I'll leave the radio on. I know you don't want to miss anything. He swung open the door with a creak and jumped to the pavement, joining the rest of their family on the sidewalk. Her brother couldn't care less that they were moving again. He never cared. Matthew attracted friends like a rainbow attracts leprechauns, and it never bothered him to leave them behind either. He saw it as building a fan base for his future as a world-famous rock star. The mention of Griswold drew Emily's attention back to the radio. The DJ was saying, "We've got a foghead calling from the event, and they're saying so far Griswold is at no show." A no show? Emily asked the radio. "You there, caller?" the DJ asked. A woman's voice said, "Yeah, I'm here at the library, but we haven't seen a glimpse of him. People are getting antsy. This guy near me is ranting about what a waste of time this is. But I don't know. I'm feeling worried myself. Garrison Griswold doesn't seem like a flake, you know." And suddenly, Emily knew with certainty why Mr. Griswold hadn't shown up. It was part of the new game. He was faking his disappearance, and the challenge would be to find him, similar to the online murder mystery he'd planned two Halloweens ago. How brilliant! Moving boxes are calling your name. Her muffled voice, her mom's muffled voice, came through the glass. A salty and crisp breeze was blowing when Emily stepped out of the van, carrying with it. Faint chorus of brazen barks. She wondered if they might be the Pier 39 sea lions she'd read about. From her vantage point on the steep hill, she could look down across the city and see a slice of the bay beyond the cityscape. Not that she could make out sea lions from this distance. The lone sailboat she couldn't see wasn't any bigger than her fingernail, so a sea lion would be like the size of a freckle. As she helped her family unload the U-Haul, ideas tumbled around Emily's head of how Mr. Griswold's disappearance could be launched into a game. A third-floor window slid open with a squawk. While their new building looked like a regular, if super skinny, three-story house, Emily knew from the rental website and that every floor was a separate apartment. An Asian woman, older than her parents, leaned out the open window. You're blocking the driveway! The woman shouted. Hello, Emily. Dad took off his baseball cap to wipe sweat off his brow and waved it. Miss Lee, isn't it? We're the Cranes, your new tenants. Just unloading our things, then we'll return the U-Haul, and it'll be out of our way. Move that truck, or I'll call the police. The landlady said and slammed the window shut. Mental note: Do not mess with her driveway. He straddled the ground with one foot against the garage door and the other nearly in that gutter. Can't really call this a driveway, though, can you? Not even a parkway, Emily said. Matthew sat cross-legged on the ground. Sit away, my work. Emily smiled. Sometimes she forgot how funny her brother could be when she wasn't the butt of his jokes. 
A private staircase stretched up and out of you to Miss Lee's floor. Part away up the sta- staircase sat a boy with about Emily's age, who she assumed must be Miss Lee's grandson. He carefully wrote in a puzzle power machine. Emily's mom pushed their front door open, revealing their own staircase. While the rest of her family went inside, Emily hung back. The boy had shiny black hair that poked up at the back of his head as if he had slept on it funny. He looked at Emily. Moving in, he asked. Emily startled a little and blushed. Had she been staring at him long? She raised a plastic bin filled with clothes. I'm delivering pizza. The boy blinked at her twice. She'd be going for funny, but maybe that just sounds snotty. She turned to her own door, but not before seeing the corner of the boy's mouth curl up in a smile. Upstairs, Emily's dad dropped his moving box in the front room. Does this feel like home sweet home or what? It feels like a sparsely furnished apartment, Emily said, dumping her bin next to his. Dibs on this room, Matthew called down from the hallway. Hey, no fair! Emily ran past Matthew's claim room to see the left airway bedroom. It was a narrow like their building. A closet door cut off one corner, and Emily was surprised to see the inside was a triangle instead of an expected square. She'd never had a triangular closet before. There was also a window that was staring at the building next door. Emily slid the window up and reached an arm out. Her fingertips almost brushed the neighboring house. The window directly above her slid open. Emily snapped back inside, fearing Miss Lee would pop up and yell at her about touching the neighbor's building. Instead, she heard a repetitive squeaking. She'd been so focused on the next door house that Emily hadn't noticed a rope strung alongside her window. The rope wound around a pulley attached to the outside of the building and ran up to another pulley fixed beside the window directly above hers. A rusted tin sand pail was being lowered and once it reached her, the window upstairs shut. Bewildered, Emily tilted the bucket to see what was inside. She removed a scrap of paper that had a 3x3 grid drawn on it with a message, Fly into Flamingo Theater, enter empty nest. Emily reread the message. It made no sense. She leaned out the window and peered up, but there was no one to see. The boy on the stairs must have sent us. But what in the world was a flamingo theater, and how was she expected to fly there? Well, about this grid. Tic-tac-toe had nine squares, but then why not mark an X to start the game? Emily pulled the pencil from her ponytail and sat on the floor to study the paper further. The sentence didn't strike her as being a cipher since it was made of actual words, not a garbled mix of letters. Emily played around with rearranging the letters, thinking maybe it was an anagram. Her mom leaned in her doorway. You'll have plenty of time for soothing later, Em. This isn't for book scavenger, Emily muttered. But sometimes taking a break helped her see a puzzle in a new way, so she tucked her pencil back into her hair and went downstairs. At the moving van, Emily dawdled, debating if she'd ask the boy about the bucket and the note. But what would she say? Did you send this to me? Duh. Who else would it be from? Miss Lee? What am I supposed to do with it? If she said that, then she might as well just say, I give up. And Emily wasn't one to give up. What are you doing? Matthew said from behind her. Emily blushed, realizing she'd be making gestures while she imagined her conversation. She grabbed the closest thing to her in a truck bed, her suitcase with books. Looking for this, she said, and lodged it to the ground. Okay. The suitcase was so packed with books, Emily had to drag it up to the front porch one step at a time. Can you go any slower? Matthew asked. This is heavy, Emily grunted. 
She looked inside their doorway at the endlessly long flight of stairs. If you're such in a rush, go around me, she said. Matthew sidestepped her and clomped by it with his skateboard and backpack. Elmy sat on the edge of her suitcase to catch her breath. She picked in Miss Lee's door. The boy now wore swim goggles along with a scarf. Emily snorted in surprise and then clapped a hand over her mouth. He continued to make marks in his magnets and acted oblivious to her being there. It seemed like an hour passed dragging her suitcase up the stairs, during which all three of her family members passed her going up or down and non offered help. Unless you counted her mother saying, I told you not to pack all those books in one bag and... She debated the puzzle as she climbed, sorting through her mental file cabinet of puzzles sorted for book scavenger. The grid had to be a key. Why include it? Logic puzzles used grids, but she didn't see how the scrap of paper added up to being a logic puzzle. Emily rolled the suitcase into a corner of her room and pulled out the paper and her pencil once again. What if she took the first letter of each word? Fifteen, she read aloud. The first letter of each word spelled out fifteen. That couldn't be a coincidence. But fifteen what? What was the solution? And if so, what did, the, what did that mean? And that still didn't explain the grade. A magic square! Emily threw her pencil triumphantly in the air. In a magic square, a grid was filled with constitutive set of numbers, so every row, column, and diagonal added up to the same number. With a 3 by 3 grid and the numbers 1 to 9, the solution was always 15. She had learned about magic squares when she hunted Shakespeare's secret in Colorado. The clue was a partially finished magic square. The numbers used to solve the square ended up being the combination for a lock on a hidden box that contained Shakespeare's secret. When Emily finished solving the boy's magic square, it looked like this. She dropped the note back into the bucket and pulled the rope to raise it up to the boy's room. Then, she ran downstairs and jumped on the landing. This time, she, the boy had added reindeer antlers to his ensemble. Ellie giggled. Halloween already? Her dad murmured as he passed by on his way inside. Miss Lee's voice rang down the stairs. James! She said, come help me please! Without so much as a glance Emily's way, James jumped to his feet and ran upstairs, the bells on his reindeer antlers jingling with every step. Check your bucket, Emily called after him, hoping he heard.